Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Behind the Yellow Line. Find us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. I'm Randall Sanders. Happy to be joined, as always, by Jeremy Spector. Ronan O'Shea is off tonight doing whatever Ronan does when left to his own devices. We don't speculate, but he will be back with us next edition. We were fortunate enough to get all three of us together at the famed Landmark Inn earlier this week. So it's like Ronan is with us in spirit, eating his mozzarella sticks. Jeremy, how are you on this very frosty Christmas Eve Eve? I'm doing good, Randall. I'm doing uh, doing pretty well. Uh, you know, we got the big weekend coming up uh, uh, for the holidays. You know, it is freezing. It's cold. You know, you can't be out there too long on a day like today. But uh, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, Randall? I, I, we saw each other earlier this week. But, you know, we had a good time at this Blackhawks game the other day that you you didn't join us on. Yeah, you know, work, work, just uh, it, it makes its own rules. And Jeremy, of course, is not exaggerating. We record this on the evening of Friday, December 23rd. Right now, the air temperature outside is negative one. The wind chill is a balmy negative 25 degrees Fahrenheit. So if you are uh, out of market, as it were, somewhere a little warmer, don't be too jealous of us. It's a, It's a little frosty outside right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I the dogs go out. I don't even know how they go out. They spend a couple minutes out. They come running back to the door. So, like, it's it's not a good one. And, uh, you know, it's a good time to introduce, you know, quality free agents. But then I see them out there at Wrigley Field, and it's like, whoa, I, I'd be freezing my butt. So I don't know if I want to come from the south up to Chicago at this point. You know, Jeremy, nothing nothing uh, warms these cold temperatures like the hot stove. There's my there's my first cliche of the night. But uh, fortunately, Dansby Swanson, he was introduced at Wrigley before things really started to take a note dive this week. And uh, what greater segue to talk about our 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 big free agent acquisition, uh, something we have talked about for weeks leading up to this. We were all very happy last Saturday to see it come across the wire. The Cubs agreed to a seven-year, $177 million contract with all-star Gold Glove shortstop Dansby Swanson to anchor their infield for the better part of the next decade. Jeremy, I don't know about you. I was just relieved to see this happen because I know we were all getting a little antsy at the end of the last edition. Yeah, it's nice to finally to get one of the big shortstops to have that deal go through, you know, not to be left at the alt at the altar, so to say, like, you know, maybe some other teams out on the West Coast are feeling, uh, you know, we got our we got our guy. And and uh, and I'm I'm a big fan. I, I've been a fan of Dancy Swanson for a long time, dating back to Vanderbilt, dating back when he unfortunately destroyed my Illini in the 2015 uh, Super Regionals in Champaign, where he was drafted number one that same day. Uh, so he was drafted in Champaign. But uh, overall in the MLB draft. But, you know, I think it's a good signing. I, I'm a big fan of Dancy. Yes, I would have liked one of the, you know, top tier shortstops. But I've always thought Dansby, he is an all-star level player. So to me, you know, even if he was the consolation prize per se, he's a pretty damn good consolation prize. Like he's probably the best offense. He's probably the best, excuse me, position player, uh, or maybe including the pitching staff player on the roster next year. So I think we are going to be very happy with Danzy Swanson. And he seems very happy to be a Chicago Cub. I was very impressed by his press conference and I'm excited to see, you know, a Swanson number seven out there at short next year at Wrigley. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're certainly not wrong. You can, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can kind of look at the signing and we've talked about it at length that there were four shortstops out there on the market. The Cubs needed to get one. I don't know that Dansby was anyone's first, second, or even third choice, but you know what? He was on the list. He's on that list of shortstops. The Cubs did get one. Uh, Jed talked all fall about intelligent spending, and we were kind of wondering what that was going to look like. And, you know, now we have an idea. And uh, I would like to note that I did say last week that Swanson's contract was going to come in 
under two hundred dollars, and I was uh, downplayed two hundred million. I bet under two hundred would be a pretty good deal. Yeah, it would be a good deal. Uh, And I was downplayed by two members of this podcast who are not me, which kind of narrows it down. So uh, I'll I'll take that back with me. But uh, you know, you you can say he was the fourth best, but he's still on the list. You can say he was only on the short list, but he was still in the conversation. The Cubs did go out and get him. Something I feel like we can discuss now without maybe uh, jinxing it or getting ahead of ourselves. Jeremy, is how does Dansby Swanson make this Cubs roster better? Well, first of all, the first thing, obviously, and we've talked about a little bit before, is he had an elite defensive year last year. He Absolutely. was a fantastic shortstop. He's been a very good shortstop in his career. Doesn't quite have the strongest arm at shortstop, so that that's kind of a, a thing there. But, you know, you have Nico Horner at short. You have, or excuse me, at second now. You move him over to second. You have Dansby at short. You have Cody Bellinger up in center field. You are up the middle. We've talked about it. That is where your defense needs to be, and the Cubs have elite defense. They're uh, Wrigley. They have a bunch of sinker ball pitchers. You know, that's kind of been the style. They're going to get the ground balls at Wrigley. You have two guys up the middle that are going to scoop them up like vacuum cleaners. You know, I, I can't wait to see the nifty double plays that Swanson and Horner come with. I think they'll get that chemistry down pretty good. And so just right off the bat, he's going to be a fantastic uh, center fielder, in my opinion. And, you know, this is a guy who hit 52 homers over the last two years while playing that elite defensive shortstop. That is more homers than Carlos Correa hit over the last two, two years. That is a big amount from a shortstop. He has hit fastballs very well which is not great on breaking pitches. And he did see a lot of fastballs last year. So there's one thing that I am a little concerned with. He does have a little swing and miss this game that he's going to probably see more breaking pitches. So I do expect his offense to come down a little bit, but still you're going to get power from a middle infielder. You're going to get offense ability from a middle infielder. So I'm excited. I think he fits pretty good in the top of your lineup. And I, I, I'm very excited for Dansby. I think he is going to be a fan favorite, too, at Wrigley Field. And he seems very happy to be in Chicago. So I think he fits this club very well. Yeah, he's going to make this pitching staff better. You alluded to it. The Cubs are a very ground ball heavy pitching staff. And the Cubs have just upgraded that middle infield defense to elite levels. You already had a great defender in Nico Horner at shortstop. He shifts back to second base where he goes from elite to super elite, whatever's above elite. And now you've got you've got him paired with another elite middle infielder. That makes your entire pitching staff better. You're going to turn double plays that you might not have been able to turn otherwise. You're going to get to ground balls up the middle that you might not have been able to get to otherwise. This is going to be a middle infield that is elite at converting ground balls into outs. And that's going to raise the water level on your entire pitching staff yeah and and one thing like you know sometimes gets lost a little bit is because we're also you know offensive focus but a run saved is equal to a runner uh scored right you know if they're you're not giving up runs don't runs they're equal uh it, it, so it, it, that's a huge huge factor in this and i think the cubs they might not have the top offensive team right now they still need to go out and acquire some bats but right now on paper they look extremely good on the defensive end, they look like they have lots of players who are going to be very good uh, defensive players. And that really helps your pitching staff out. Like you're going to save a lot of runs just from the great defense that the Cubs are going to put out next year. And I think it's going to make the pitchers. I actually think there's like knock on effects because I think the pitchers will be more comfortable pitching. I mean, we don't have a lot of strikeout guys anyways, but you're going to find guys that are more comfortable to make certain pitches. I think just because they'll be more comfortable to put balls in play, knowing that they have this defense behind them, they can maybe take a little bit more risks on certain types of pitches. Uh, Jeremy, are you prepared to dust off the old Dusty Baker malapropism, driving in runs with your glove, something he used to say about Nathy Perez? Are you prepared to apply that to Dansby Swanson? I'm prepared to apply it, sure. Dansby Swanson, you know, 
when you look back at the 2016 Cubs, the one thing that they were elite in that people can overlook was their defense. They were one of the best defense, if not the best defensive team in all of major league baseball that year. At and converting balls in play into outs. Well, yeah, just, yeah, just, just their, their defense. And uh, I, I, they led the league in like defensive run saves, I believe. Um, so I just think, you know, there, there are kind of certain things that the Cubs have kind of gone away from over the past few years. And I feel like we're kind of moving back to the philosophy that we had in 2015, 2016, where we kind of did get fall because we fell in love with certain players and certain, you know, that were there that I, I just I like this direction that the Cubs are heading in. Yeah, you know, it, it's hard not to like the signing. We can go back to who they maybe should have signed over him all we want, but it's hard not to like what he's going to do for this team. And uh, like we said, it's a seven-year, $177 million contract. The Cubs did uh, answer my prayers, and they did give Swanson an in-person press conference this past week at Wrigley Field. He was introduced. He donned that number seven jersey, which is a a good-looking jersey number on a middle infielder. It's hard to look bad when you're wearing a good number like number seven. And, Jeremy, this was interesting to me. um, As he was being questioned by the media, he said that he sat down with uh, Jed Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins at a, a Maggiano's in Atlanta. You couldn't find a slightly... Slightly more exclusive restaurant, but he said he sat down and he kind of interviewed them, he said. He said he interviewed them about what the plan was and that they sold him on it. What are we taking away from the fact that Jed and Carter were able to kind of do what people were saying they hadn't been able to do and that sell a free agent on what's coming up for the Cubs? What do we take away from that? Yeah, I think, you know, well, one thing is that from just off the bat, Carter and and Dansby, while they're not, I don't think they're you know, have much in terms of the fact that they're, they're close friends or anything. They overlap in a lot of areas. They both grew up in Atlanta. They both playing baseball. They both went to Vanderbilt playing baseball. Carter's older. So they know a lot of the same people. They're coming a lot of the same, I'm not going to say culture, but community. So like, I do think there was that kind of connection that also played into it. But the fact, yes, that Jed and Carter were there. I, I think Dancy Swanson, as he says, tons of times, he's a guy who wants to win. That's all he cares about. He doesn't even care if he goes 0 for 4 or whatever, as long as you win at the end of the day. So I do think, yes, they have a plan. And we also heard that uh, there was another person pitching uh, uh, Dancy was John Lester, who they made a little video from. And John Lester said he was he was in the basically the same position Dancy was in. He was a free agent. He said he saw the Cubs. They were like an up-and-coming team, but he wasn't sure if he wanted to commit to it. He didn't know whether or not they were committed to winning. And he put the video together, and he – so it was probably going to be the hardest decision of his career and maybe been the best decision of his career to go to Chicago. So Danzi was kind of in that same situation he, there. You're seeing what he's seeing. Are, is this a team that's ready to, um, to go up? I think it's pretty clear the direction of the Cubs is going up. I, I think, you know, looking at last year and the year before where we're seeing, I think we do see that arc kind of going up that the, the farm's developing. This team's going to be more competitive than last year's team was. So yeah, they got that buy-in and to be honest, you know, they, that's seven year, $177 million. That's like half of what Steve, well, of what Korea was projected. It is. To get. Yeah. And it's like half, half million, what Korea originally got. We'll get yeah, to that. And 100 later. million less than like Bogarts. So, like, there should be a lot of savings there. And now those savings only matter if you use them, right? Of course. So, uh, otherwise, it doesn't matter. I don't care if Tom Ricketts has more money in his pocket. It only matters if they're actually going to put it into the team. And I think, you know, they told Dansby, hey, we're not done yet. We're going to go out and sign more guys. And I still think, and now we can argue over whether or not all the people that are left are out there, but I still think there is a plan to sign more people. And so I think that they Dansby bought into that. And I'm I'm very happy for Dansby to be a Chicago Cub, as I've said a couple of times. 
Yeah, and something you mentioned is that uh, Dansby said, I believe his brother and his brother and Carter Hawkins played together at Vanderbilt. So they had that connection. Dansby said he uh, he kind of reached out to Carter through his brother and and you know got the straight talk from him. So it seems like Jed and Carter went out there and they did everything that they needed to do to convince Dansby Swanson that the Cubs were where he needed to be. And you know we've talked about is Jed the guy to do this? Uh, you know. You know, should Jed be the one kind of rebuilding this team? He went out and he did it. And he, you know, he did one of the things that uh, we always said Theo Epstein was great at. Um, and he, you know, he he talked a free agent into taking the Cubs money, which, uh, you know, it might seem like damning through faint praise. But, you know, it, it, a lot of other suitors out there who needed a shortstop and Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins convinced Danby Swanson that the Cubs were that top suitor. And, uh, you know, I think a little bit of credit is due there. And of course, uh, Dansby told this, uh, I don't know, great story is the word, but this a uh, very pointed story during his press conference. Uh, he grew up, of course, uh, in the Atlanta area, roughly, or in the in the, the Southeast. And of course, his grandfather was a, a big Braves fan, courtesy of the TBS Superstation. But then Dansby broke out the story about his grandfather's second favorite team, also courtesy of a Superstation. His grandfather was secondarily a Cubs fan, watching the games on WGN. And sadly, his grandfather passed away uh, the day after Dansby, uh, Dansby Swanson's wedding, unfortunately. And Dansby said it meant a lot to him to will now play for his grandfather's two favorite teams in the Braves and the Cubs. And that uh, that hit me pretty good. He seemed very, very genuine while telling the story. He, he said he couldn't look at his parents while telling the story. Otherwise, he was going to start breaking down. And he seems like a very genuine individual who really wants to come here and really wants to win. And I think that's going to, I think that's going to play really nicely for him as he settles in in Chicago. Yeah. As I said, I think he's going to be a fan favorite and he, he, he told that story and obviously a very emotional story, you know, on maybe, you know, the, one of the biggest days of his life, uh, his, his marriage to for the next day to maybe be one of, I don't, I'm assuming one of the lowest days of his life with his father, uh, grandfather passing and him having to leave, you know, and the wedding drive all the way out there to get to the back to the Atlanta area to get, you know, and uh, to see his grandfather before he moved on. And then, you know, having to go up, then going on your honeymoon after that, that must've been a whole swell of an emotions. Uh, it's a whole while, roller coaster. It's a whole roller coaster in one week. Yeah. And all the while you're a free agent and all these teams are probably contacting you trying to, you know, figure out what you're doing. So yeah, it must've been uh, an extreme uh, time period for him. And, and it's, it was a nice story. You know, we've heard a lot about people. It's actually something that kind of makes me sad because it's not something we'll hear a lot. I assume in the future, you know, cause the Cubs aren't on WGN anymore. Like we've heard a lot about people who've grown up, you know, the w, the Cubs are always my second favorite team or I always, there was, I was a baseball fan. So there was always Cubs. So it meant something for me to go to Wrigley field. Um, and I feel like we're not going to quite get that as much in the future with uh, Marquee and the Cubs moving away from WGN over the past, you know, 20 years or so. And WGN kind of losing, you know, the superstation status of every game being shown. I remember, I mean, I remember myself being a child in the nineties, being able to watch the elite Braves games, just like randomly on TV, I could get Greg Maddox or John Smoltz or an elite game, a top tier Braves team just on a regular day after school at night. So I always kind of had that connection to the Braves on, on the other end. Uh, so yeah, it must've been a, 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 tra a traumatic time for him in that period where his grandfather died. But 
I, I, I think it's, you know, it, it mean, obviously meant a lot for him to come to Wrigley Field. And as I've said a few times, like, I think he's going to be a fan favorite. I think people are going to love him. He competes hard. He seems genuine as he talks. He He's kind of charismatic. And I, you know, he, he's a good looking dude. I think, I think he's going to be one of the top guys in Chicago as a Chicago Cub. I think next seven years, he, he's going to be at that top step. And I think everybody's going to love Dansby Swanson. Well, Dansby, we, we are very glad you decided to come to Chicago. That number seven jersey, I think, is going to play real well. Here's to um, seven, hopefully seven pretty good years, and maybe a couple of rings in there, too. So, Dansby, I know you're a big fan of the podcast. If you ever want to come on with us on uh, BTYL, just hit one of us up. We'll be more than happy to clear time for you. So the Cubs were not done this week. They did want to go out and uh, bolster the roster a little bit more at the edges. First of those pieces was former Reds catcher, former Tigers catcher, Tucker Barnhart, a name that Cubs fans know well, watching him with the Cincinnati Reds for many years. They signed him to a two-year contract worth a guaranteed $6.5 million, and that is the guaranteed money for his uh, 2023 salary plus his player option for 2024. Uh, Jeremy, Tucker Barnhart, not much of a bat in his career. You're not going to get a whole lot out of him offensively. No, you're not. I mean... And last year, even in Detroit, like he had a pretty terrible season. But it was bad. Detroit was a whole mess last year. But the one thing Tucker Barnhart, for the most part, has been good at, he has been a good defensive catcher for the most part. He has been for from 2019, or excuse me, I believe, uh, yeah, from 2019 to 2021, he was an above average pitch framer, uh, according to Baseball Savant. So that, you know, the Cubs are kind of getting back to that. That guy behind the plate, not the Wilson Contreras type, where it's more offense than defense. They kind of are, are focusing on the defensive aspect, which I said earlier. I do believe there's knock-on effects with that with the, with the pitchers, especially with the catchers. I think they're more comfortable to throw to catchers. Uh, you're going to get more strikes in certain areas. But uh, so we'll see. I don't know necessarily think that Tucker Barnhart was you know their top guy at catcher. I don't. We know they made an offer for Christian Vasquez, so obviously he was doing there. But he's a switch hitter. He's hit better from the left side throughout his career. He hasn't really hit from the right side. So I think we'll see more of a platoon and maybe just Tucker Barnhart kind of focusing on that one side. I think he might, you might see some offensive numbers. It won't be as terrible as he has in the past. I'm not going to say he's going to be a good hitter, but he has actually been an okay hitter facing righties. He's been much better than he has when he's had to go up and, and face lefties from the right side. He has not really been a great hitter and it has drug down his career averages a lot. So we'll see, but I, 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 it's not. It's hard for me to get excited about this signing. That, that's all I gotta say. Yeah, it's hard for us to get excited, and it's hard for us to get too do too down on it. The Cubs did need another catcher to pair with Jan Gomes. You weren't going to go as with uh, Jan Gomes and PJ Higgins. I don't think as your your primary catching tandem. Um, you you mentioned it has not been pretty for his career numbers. A career six eighty OPS, a career eighty two OPS plus. So for his career, he's been eighteen percent worse than. Uh, National League catcher, major league catchers offensively. And uh, boy, for as bad as that is, it was even worse for him in Detroit last year. Over 308 plate appearances. He hit 221. He only got on base at 287. He only slugged 267. One home run in those 308 plate appearances. I think getting out of Detroit will help those numbers a little bit. Obviously, Wrigley a little bit more hitter friendly. But uh, boy, you're you're just not going to get a whole lot out of him offensively. And I think if I have one concern, uh, again, we know they wanted Christian Vasquez, who's at least been an average hitter for his career. If I have one concern, it's that Gomes and Barnhart are both going to trend pretty similarly. Gomes isn't a complete black hole at the plate, but I still worry you're going to have two guys who aren't going to hit 
very much, if at all, at the catcher position. And you're trading, uh, swapping the pitcher out of the lineup in the second second season of that for basically putting pitcher hitting numbers back in that number nine spot. And this team is already offense deficient. That's something I want us to talk about in a future edition. You know, you're not going to get any offense out of the catcher position, Jeremy. Can they still build a productive roster with that being the case? Yeah, well, you know, I just wanted to, I wanted to bring back up what I said before, uh, just with some numbers behind it. Uh, he is in his career uh, from the uh, facing right-handed pitchers. He does have a 705 OPS, and his career facing left-handed pitcher is a 580. He's a switch hitter. Um, Jan Gomes is a right-hander, so Jan Gomes is going to face more left-handed pitching. I think Barnhart is going to face more of the right-handed pitching, and so there you're getting that platoon. You're kind of eliminating. Hopefully, you're playing to both of their strengths and eliminating their weaknesses, which should make them play up a little bit. Like I don't think I think Barnhart's numbers are going to be better because he's going to be put in more situations for him to succeed. So I I I, I do think he's going to hit better than maybe his career line uh, indicates, just because he's going to be in more situations that he's not going to really face left-handed pitchers, in my opinion. But yeah, I, I would have liked a little more offense. But as I said, I I do like the direction they're going. I like the fact that they have two guys that can handle the staff that I think the pitchers are going to be comfortable throwing to that I think they're going to get a few extra calls I think it's important I think I think catcher framing is we we put a pretty good value on it but I still think we underrate it because I do think it kind of has a huge impact on the game more than we think it does and I think you could maybe argue that the most valuable player in baseball is a good framing catcher I think he might be the most important person on the field because you're getting extra strikes, you're stealing strikes, and that changes kind of the game. And so I like the idea that the Cubs have put this emphasis at this position because I think it's extremely important. And it gets back to, as I said before, the 2015-2016 teams, David Ross and Miguel Montero were two of the best catchers in, in in framing. And I think that was a very important part of their success. And we kind of lost track of that from in 17, 18, 19, 20 on. And uh, so I like, I kind of like having this and I wish there was a little bit more offense. We're going to have to find offense, but honestly, first base and third base and the DH, these should be the easiest places for us to find office, like offense. We should be able to find offense in those positions. So I, I don't, I'm not going to say I'm super gung-ho about the position, but I like the direction they're going in. And I do think it'll be a fine addition to the team. Yeah. And this is a conscious decision on the part of the Cubs. You, I don't know, could have, but, you know, they they could have tried to retain Wilson Contreras, and it doesn't seem like that was ever in the cards. They've gone with a bat first catcher for the last, since Wilson took over that starting position, really in 2017, Wilson's first opening day as the starting catcher. They've gone with that bat first approach, and now they are making a concentrated effort to shift away from that and get as much defense out of the catcher position as possible. And whatever offense you get is gravy. This is a conscious decision on the part of the front office to kind of shift what they're getting out of the catcher position. And, you know, I I think by the end of the season, we're going to say, boy, you got nothing bat wise out of the catcher position or very little, but what you got defensively was better than we've seen, you know, on a, a large scale in years. And it's good. You know, it, it, we've talked all off season about how the Cubs can make decision a, but it means they're going to have to make decision B, C, and D. You can sign Dansby Swanson for less money, but it means you have to use that money elsewhere on your roster. You can have Tucker Barnhart and Jan Gomes as your primary catching duo but you're going to need offense from a lot of other positions to offset that so these are conscious decisions and it's going to be interesting to see how the cubs move the needle back in the other direction to compensate for these decisions yeah yeah i, I really i mean i don't think they want, want or 
planning on going next year or wanted to go next year with Tucker Barnhart is, and Jan Gomes is no, nope, you gotta you gotta sign who's available. Exactly. I think they did prefer maybe another catcher. I think they had other catchers higher on their board, but they missed out on those catchers. And I think they ended up with Barnhart, but I still do think they prioritized that style of catcher. I think that was their priority. If they really wanted to bring Wilson back, I do think they would have had the capability and the means to bring him back. They could have offered a similar contract to St. Louis. I think he would have taken it to stay in Chicago. So I think it was a conscious decision. Like this is direction we want to go. Now is Barnhart the guy they wanted to go with? I don't necessarily think so, but I do think they preferred this type of catcher. And so we'll see. I, I, as I said before, I do think that the fact that they're probably going to platoon be put more in their strengths. I do think they'll probably give you more than you think they're going to give you offensively. They're not going to be an elite catcher. They're not going to hit as well as Wilson. It's not a high bar though. You're getting, getting more than you think you're going to get. True. But I, I I expect, you know, I think they're going to be closer to a major league average bat. They're not going to, I don't think they will be a major league. Although who knows then, then you would think, I don't think I like, I think Barnhart will hit a little bit more. I don't, I don't think he's going to be, as terrible as he has, especially last year. But, um, you know, it is was Jan Gomes has had some years in his career where he's been a pretty good hitter. You know, as a catcher, it fluctuates more because there's just so much going into the position. But uh, we'll see. As as you said, as I said, you make these decisions, and it does. Yes, you have to then follow up with other decisions. They have to go out and get a first baseman. They have to go out and get probably a third baseman, even a DH right now. And I'm not sure where those where that's going to come from because those options are dwindling. But they need to get some offense. They need to get some bats. Like you, you put all this into the defense, but at some point you have to get some bats. And Jed Jed knows because he said at the end of last year he wants to blow teams out. Now, yes, you know holding you can but you can only hold teams to zero runs. Like you can't go into negative runs. You're, you can't so shut them out every night, right? So even if you're holding everybody. And you can't do it every night. But if you're holding teams a zero-one run, like if you're only scoring two-three, you're not going to get blowouts. So in order to get blowouts, you need to put up runs. And so I think they need to go out and find some bats. But uh, yeah, I think it's an interesting direction, and I like the direction that they're going in the defensive manner and the defensive mindset of this roster. Yeah, I think there's a lot of hope that uh, Mervis is going to come up and be productive. I think there's a lot of hope that Brennan Davis is going to come up and be productive. That seems like the kind of the offensive game plan right now is uh, hope hope for certain guys. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how much that, uh, that plays out. The Cubs did add yet another piece this week, right after Tucker Barnhart, it was not a bat. It was bringing back, um, a pitcher who did some pretty decent work for a bad Cubs team in 2022 left-hander drew smiley, the swingman, uh, the veteran swingman was brought back on a two year, $19 million contract with a $10 million mutual options for 2025. It'll pay him 8 million in 2023, eight and a half million in 2024. Now, Jeremy, we saw Drew Smiley do some pretty good work for a bad Cubs team in 2022. He started, he did some long relief. You were asked by the currently absent third, uh, third member of our trio, Ronan, you were asked, is this a lot to pay for your kind of fourth, fifth swingman time starter where you're paying him 8 million, eight and a half million and potentially 10 million for the next three seasons. Is this an overpay for Drew Smiley? No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I mean, in, in today's day and age, this money is pretty much nothing like for a free agent starter. And I, I, you know, and looking at the roster, the Cubs don't have any money committed over the next two years for the most part. So I have no problem with them committing a little, some money there because they should be able to easily manage this. I don't think it's an overpay at all. I think Drew Smiley was a very effective pitcher last year. Uh, I've always liked Drew Smiley. I, I was happy when they signed him before when he was coming off Tommy John surgery and then ended up having to trade him to make room for Cole Hamels. And we finally got him back. And I, and I think, you know, 
he did some good things last year. He he doesn't walk pit uh, a lot of batters. He got a lot of weak contact, and you know he pitched very well in that Iowa game, uh, the Field of Dreams game. He was out there, and we oh, we kind of heard the rumors at the end of the year that the Cubs are interested in bringing him back. Um, we thought maybe it would get done a little bit earlier in the offseason, but it did get done eventually. And so I like it. I like the fact I, – I I think the Cubs, and we've talked about this before, are very strong in the fact of pitching, starting pitching depth. They don't have the top-end guys. They don't have the elite top-of-the-rotation pitcher. But they have a lot of guys who I think could be, you know, a three, four, five starter in the uh, next year. Uh, we'll see if Justin Steele can improve a little bit on that, Marcus Stroman, um, whatever Kyle Hendricks ends up being. But then, they, you know, they have – Hayden Wesneski, then they have also King and Thompson, who's probably going to move back to the bullpen where he might have been a little more effective, though he he did pitch decently at times as a starter. And so I think they have a lot of options there. And I just like putting another guy in that spot, another guy where, okay, we're going to have this depth. And so I do think there's going to be, you know, we're never going to, I don't think we're ever going to go out and see like somebody on the mound that's just like, why is this guy out there? He's going to get killed. He's getting crushed. Like, we're, we're not going to see the ace, but. I think every day they will have a person who's going to be legitimate on the starting, a legitimate major league starter on the mound. I, I, that's how I feel at, at worst. And so I like the signing. I like bringing Drew Smiley back to the Cubs. Yeah. You know, we, we talk about some rotations, some rosters that are top heavy where you've got a really great kind of one, two, and then it drops off pretty steeply from there. The Cubs, uh, like you put it, the Cubs are depth heavy. You don't have a whole lot at the top, but you have a lot of guys who are pretty reliable. Number three, number four, number five starters. And something I've said in past episodes is that every time you sign another guy like this, sure, it doesn't help the top of your rotation, but it pushes those fringe depth guys even further down. And not to take anything away from a guy like Javier Assad, who came up last year, and I don't think really got blown up at all. But I do think that the less you have to rely on him or a guy like him over the course of the season, the better off you're going to be. And Drew Smiley pushes a guy like Javier Assad even further down that depth chart. You mentioned Keegan Thompson as a guy who's probably going to pitch in long relief. Uh, Adbert Alzale, I, su- I suspect, is probably going to join him in that same role. Um, and that, you know, signing these, these back end of the rotation guys makes it that much easier to put these would-be starters as your bulk relievers. And, you know, it's it's not the glamorous part of building the roster, but it is an essential part of building the roster. And in that regard, as far as kind of making the margin stronger, Drew Smiley accomplishes that for the Cubs. Yeah, and the one thing I think we've learned, especially over these past two years, uh, or I guess three years even, is you can't really count on on guys to pitch 200 innings anymore. Like, nope. the last two years, you've not really seen that. You're not seeing guys make every start, every like a whole rotation of guys who are going to go out and pitch, you know, 25 to 30 times. I don't I don't think you're, you're going to see that. So the more guys you can add, the more guys who can take that ball on any day, because you know you're going to get injuries. You know some, some pitchers are going to have to miss a couple starts at some point in the season. You know that going into the season. And if you don't plan for it, you're not doing your job. Um, so, you know, who knows when it will be or who it is, but you know it's going to happen to somebody at some time. So to bring in a Drew Smiley, you know, they they brought in Jamison Tyone as well, who we should mention probably. So the Cubs are, have this kind of rotation where they're bringing in guys who are legitimate major league pitchers to pitch. Like you're not going to get, uh, you know, you're not going to get your random uh, uh, Clayton Richards start, I feel like. In the middle of the season where you <laughs> Nothing better than the random guys. Clayton Richards yeah. start have to buy a guy from the pirates for a dollar, you know, like, I feel like they're, they're going to have all these guys that they should be able to get through the season with uh, starting, whether they, no matter how far they have to dip 
into that rotation depth. So I like it. I like Drew Smiley. I think I think there might even be a little bit more left. Who knows? Like he's going to get another year of working with uh you know Craig Breslow and team the Pitchy Lab uh uh you know and so I think that uh I, I think he could do more. I think you know his fastball velocity was a little bit down from years past, but he still got a lot of weak contact, and I think there's a little bit more with Smiley, and I think he was happy to return because we heard him talk about how he wanted to be a Cub and how he wanted to come back. Now he liked the guys here. So I think it's a good sign to bring him back. I do not think it's an overpay at all. No, no, not at all. And I think if there's one thing we've seen this offseason, it's that the market is uh, the, the market values are a lot higher than we might have thought they were in past years. If you want your player, you may have to pay a little bit more than you might have thought on paper. And I, I think relative to that, Drew Smiley is definitely not an overpay. Uh, he's, you know, he's going to be an essential depth piece. He clearly wanted to be here. And, I, you know, I like you said, I think that's the right amount of money for that. And, and the one thing to point out, I think we did mention is right now, like if you're looking at your next year's rotation, Hendricks is a free agent and we don't know what Hendricks is. That's right. You do Stroman, have to build with 2024 in mind as well. Exactly. Stroman is going to have that opt out. Hopefully he opts back into the contract. We know, but you can't count on that. So you, you added in Tyone, you added in Smiley, you gave him next year. So you do have to kind of build those pieces for next year as well. You need guys that are going to take the ball next year. And then maybe you can also build on 24. You can build on top of that. Hopefully a Wesneski develops, a steel develops even more so you can count them in the rotation. But, you know, I'm expecting they're going to build more in 24. And I don't think Drew Smiley takes anything away from that. I think, you know, you want him as that depth piece. Absolutely. Uh, so on the topic of not depth pieces, the free agent world, I would say, experienced quite a shock to the system earlier this week. And Jeremy, you broke this news to our uh, our, our group text. I w- woke up one morning to see this 2.30 text from you that Carlos Correa is signing with the Mets. And I would have been fascinated to have seen this unfold in real time. But for the, our listeners who are not aware of what happened, and this, this seldom ever happens. This seldom ever transpires quite as it did. Uh, Carlos Correa, of course, we reported last week, he signed to a 13-year, $330 million contract with the San Francisco Giants. And usually when it gets to that point, it's over, it's done, everything's over but the uh, the jersey presentation. Carlos Correa was scheduled to be introduced at a Giants press conference, and we received word over the wire that that press conference had been simply postponed due to a medical issue. We didn't know if Correa was ill. Maybe somebody had uh, contracted COVID. Um, and we learned that something had come up in the medical concerns. And it was enough to scuttle the whole contract, Jeremy. Uh, you know, we see it sometimes where it makes the two sides talk another day or so. And they add a couple of options in there and some protection for the team. You hardly ever see this where the, the contract is seemingly signed. The the press conference is scheduled and we'll get into not just scheduled, how scheduled it was. And then it all it, it all disappears from there. We hardly ever see this in the free agent world. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, You know, we, there have been a couple of times where some things come up where, you know, when when it's kind of reported that, you know, pending physical, you, you assume it's done. Right. Uh, We've seen in the past. I remember even with the Mets, where there was a Carlos Gomez trade and they was traded to the Mets and and the Mets have. Their doctors said, nah, like we're not doing this. Even after it was reported and you had Wilmer Flores crying on the infield thinking he had been traded. That, that, that famous image. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, just reading the stories and actually kind of learning kind of how these work. Uh, I guess, you know, there's a term sheet that all these guys sign. Like when sure. when it's when it's being reported by Ken Rosenthal, it's pretty much because it, they have a, a signed like term sheet being like, 
this is the intention of us. As long as you break the, uh, you know, excuse me, past the physical, you are going to be a giant. And uh, and it's pretty much acts as a contract where the only one who could break that term sheet is the team. It's up to the sole discretion of the team. Correa could not break that contract, uh, nope. that term sheet he signed. And so what happened was he went in for the physical. He he did everything he had to do. Moving on, I'm going to be a, a San Francisco giant. And apparently the giants, some for some reason or another, they did not like the look of his physical. And I guess Boris was on the phone with him. Hey, you're at one o'clock. We have to know, are you going forward with this or are you going to – revoke are you gonna walk out of this this deal and eventually the giants said at one o'clock like you know we're not gonna honor this this term sheet and at that point carlos correa was a free agent he went back on the market and boris worked out a deal with with steve Cohn, who apparently the owner of the mets who apparently was in hawaii and they got it done in over a couple hours that day which is just crazy to think about especially when the rumor was or the word is the reporting that it's not his back that he missed so much issues with it's an old injury from prior to him ever being a major leaguer. So he's played his whole career with this injury in the major leagues that apparently the Giants thought is too much for them. So it, it kind of makes me think: Are the were the Giants trying? Were they did they get cold feet here? Did they not yeah. want to pay this? That that, that were they trying to renegotiate like... a lesser contract? So I yeah, as you said, Randall, like I don't understand what the Giants' thought process was here. It, it definitely feels like that to me. It definitely feels like the Giants somewhere between offering this contract and actually signing on the dotted line. It definitely feels like they got cold feet that for whatever reason, they felt the need to back out. And we talked about the fact that this press conference was scheduled. Carlos Correa was in his hotel room. He was dressed. I'm sure putting on a nice suit because Scott Boris clients have nice suits. He was, he was dressed for his Giants press conference. His whole family was present and the press conference was postponed to be canceled. He had already started house shopping in the San Francisco area the day before he was as ready as you can possibly be. And the Giants backed out of this contract, which is insane. And then, of course, we all know the story is uh, Steve Cohen got on the phone to Boris. And as Boris was in San Francisco, Steve Cohen was in Hawaii. They they put this deal together. And Carlos Correa ends up with the New York Mets. They will be paying him 12 years, $315 million to play third base with Francisco Lindor already manning shortstop. And it, again, it's just crazy. You never see this happen. You see things come up in the medicals that the, the, the two sides will work something out where it changes the value of the contract. But you never see this where the two team, the, the, the two parties are ready to make it official and the team backs out completely. It, it's just unheard of. And I was just stunned to see this first thing in the morning when I woke up. Surely I couldn't have been reading this right, that Carlos Correa ended up with the Mets. And it, it's just insane. Yeah, it's crazy, you know. Uh, yeah, and the Giants, as I said, were the only one with the ability to back out. So Correa was, he thought he was a giant. Uh, he and he was in, and Boris, I believe, was in, like in the hotel room over from him. Tell, and he went over to to Carlos, being like, "Look, the Giants backed out. I'm going to call a bunch. Of, we're going to get on this right now because we're not going to wait. We're not going to play out a whole free agent game. We're getting back out. I'm making the calls. Apparently, he called the Twins. The Twins said, "Hey, speaking of the Twins, who he played for last year, know his entire medical history." So they were not, I mean, they never made that huge offer that that uh, the Giants did, but they were not dissuaded from making their offer, which was reportedly 10 years, $285 million, which they stayed with. When, when Boris called the Twins back up, they said, we're not going to budge off our offer, but our offer still stands if he wants 10 years, $285 million. So and it, it's just crazy. Ended up getting the deal done with Cone. Uh, as a Cubs fan, I was kind of thinking like, hey, he's going to play third base. Like, you know, we still have some money. 
uh, why not us get back in this mix? But I'm sure they were all kind of with, with Dansby. But uh, who knows? If I'm a Giants fan, like I, you better pray. If you're a Giants executive, you better pray that Carlos Correa at some point this injury comes back to affect him because Carlos Correa plays the next five, six, seven years with like not missing major time. Why? I mean, if I was a Giants fan, I'd be so pissed. Like, I don't understand. I, I it's crazy to me. It's if you're gonna. You, he has to have some serious injury. The fact that – I know Steve Cohn's the richest owner in the league, whatever, the Mets are spending on control, but the fact that the Mets were just pounced on him and gave him basically pretty much the same contract, it's like a one-year difference. I, It's like they obviously feel comfortable. Now he's doing his physical – I think he was doing it today or yesterday. Yeah, yesterday quite, he was taking his physical for the Mets, which yeah, is kind of funny. He hasn't quite – who are the Mets, you know, well-known of being that team that's like – just derpy when it comes to those type of things. Uh, but, we, we say we say the Mets, and it has a very specific meaning yeah. to it. But like, if they feel comfortable, if other teams feel comfortable, it just it makes you suspicious of the Giants. Like, what are the Giants' real reasons here? And I yeah, think and they need to answer questions about that. If I was a Giants fan, and I had I had that same thought, Jeremy. Like, if Correa was willing to move to third base, and I think one of the things that we, you and I, and Ronan said. Uh, as free agency was getting underway is that money talks and for the right money, anybody's willing to move to third base. Uh, but, you know, if Correa was milling, willing to move to third base, boy, wouldn't that have been funny? Wouldn't that have been nice? Wouldn't that have just been unexpected beyond anything we would expect from Jed if the Cubs had made the team to jump back in this and get Carlos Correa as their new third baseman? Obviously, it didn't happen that way. And now the Mets have a very, very good left side of the infield, two players who I think are going to get along very nicely in Francisco Lindor at shortstop and Carlos Correa at third base. But boy, just what a what a crazy free agent saga. Um, every year we see something that we've never seen before. And uh, in this particular case, it was a team backing out of a contract and the the, the player goes elsewhere. Uh, so not to be outdone, the Giants did feel they needed to add some offense elsewhere. And they did finally snipe a free agent out from under the Cubs, a player I had hoped the Cubs would get and uh, take a flyer on. Uh, outfielder Michael Conforto, formerly, formerly of the Mets. So it's all one big uh, one big triangle, one big circle here. Uh, former Mets outfielder Michael Conforto missed all of the 2022 season with the shoulder injury, but he is now on his way to the San Francisco Giants, pending a physical, of course, which again, that's not going to be, that's not not going to be funny for a while. That's going to go up there with Arson Judge. Uh, that contract is two years, 36 million with an opt-out after 2023. And Jeremy, I'm a little disappointed. I think Conforto would have been a great fit for this Cubs team. I think you could have rotated him through DH and all three outfield positions and gotten him starters at bats at least every week. I'm really disappointed, honestly, that uh, the Giants uh, kind of overcame their Scott Boris phobia that quickly, and they 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 took Michael Conforto away from the Cubs. I'm disappointed. I'm I'm very disappointed. I I thought that Conforto was like the last highest upside bat that was really out there. Yep. That you know he's hurt. But if he was healthy, he's going to be a good hitter. And I thought the Cubs, he definitely fit with the Cubs. Um, but I, I think this is just kind of the effect from uh, the Carlos Correa thing. I think, you know, had the Giants landed Correa, I don't know if they'd have gone after and tried to lock down Conforto like this. So I I, I do think it's kind of funny, though. We just talked about Correa, uh, an injury that hasn't even affected him as the majors. 
is the reason that the Giants supposedly backed out, yet apparently they're okay. And I realize it's a much smaller contract, but going out there and then signing Michael Conforto, who missed all of last year, plus Mitch Hanniger, who had a bunch of uh, injury history. So so it's hard for me. If I was, like I said, if I was a Giants fan, it would be hard for the team to justify it to me that we're going to go out and give all this money to people that have been hurt a lot, but not give it to Carlos Correa because we're afraid of something might happen to him. Which there are just... there are so many questions. Exactly. As, as Hermes Conrad once famously said in a, one of your favorite shows and mine, Futurama, that just raises further questions. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, again, I, I said it. I'm disappointed. I think he would have been a great offensive fit for this Cubs roster. As you said, he was kind of the last bat out there on the free agent market with any kind of upside to him. And that just... Uh, raises the question more. That just raises further questions. Where is the offense going to come from for this Cubs team? Um, yeah, so, and you know, it's funny. It's just about everything the Giants have done this year, I feel like has been motivated by uh, failing or perceived failing to do something else. There's a whole chain reaction here where, of course, they almost had Arson Judge and they didn't have Arson Judge. And because they didn't sign Arson Judge, which is still funny, uh, they go after Carlos Correa. And then they, despite having him, they still managed to lose out on Carlos Correa. So, of course, you have to spend that money somewhere, and it goes to Michael Conforto. I'm just imagining, what if the Giants had actually gotten Aaron Judge? How does everything else shake out? Do the Cubs get get uh, do the Cubs get Carlos Correa that way because the Giants already spent their entire free agent budget on one guy? Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm imagining, uh, you know, I just speaking about it, us Cubs fans have had a very kind of stressful, I don't know if it's the right word necessarily, but it's definitely anxious offseason, thinking about who we're going to sign. We want our team to go out and make it. Imagine if you were a Giants fan. We should all be happy we are not a Giants fan, that we got our guy, Nancy Swanson. We've made our efforts because the Giants, they had Aaron Judge for about six minutes. They had Carlos Correa for six days. They lost Carlos Rodon. I, I just can't believe if I was a Giants fan, like, it would be just chaos. We should be happy as Cubs fans because we could have had a much worse office season. We got our guy in Dansby. You know, Jeremy, I've thought about that a lot this week about what Cubs fandom would be like if the Cubs had, and and I, I don't want to downplay the extent to which they should have signed Carlos Correa. They absolutely should have offered Carlos Correa this 12 or 13 year, 300 million plus contract. However much you believe they should have, and I do believe they should have, what would it have been like if the Cubs had offered him that contract and then lost him to this medical issue and lost him to the Mets of all teams? I don't think there would have been anything left. I think it would have all just been ashes. I think it would have all burned down, Jeremy. Yeah, and if we were walking away with – if Conforto was the highlight of our offseason. Like, we all That's want right. Conforto, but if he – we nobody wanted Conforto as the top guy, as the highlight, because we want one of those four shortstops. So just be hug- – uh, happy that you got, you know, Dancy Swanson under your Christmas tree as your Hanukkah present this year because, uh, you know, it could have been worse. You could you could have been stuck with just just absolute, you know. Not, not only that, just think about the fact that you were given these presents and then basically yeah. taking them back immediately. Taking away, yeah, because you thought as a Giants fan, you thought you had Judge, you thought you had Correa, and it's just. I feel for them. I feel for the San Francisco Giants fans out there. You, you can't not feel for them because, like you said, they they did. They were made to temporarily believe that they had these players for whether it was a few minutes, whether it was a few days. Uh, they they were shown a puppy, and then that puppy was taken away from them. And uh, on that topic, I don't know that John Hayman is ever going to be welcome in the Bay Area 
Uh, again, I, I said originally it was going to be a while. I don't think it'll be ever again after briefly having Giants fans convinced that Aaron Judge was signing there and then reporting that their team had lost Carlos Correa to the Mets. I don't think he's going to be welcome in the Bay Area for the garlic fries and the sourdough bread. I don't think Lou Seal is going to be patting him on the back. Uh, yeah, John Heyman, I would I would watch yourself the next time you travel to the Bay Area. I don't think you're going to be super welcome there. I think John Heyman needs to stay in New York for a long, long time. I think that's where he plays best. I think he especially needs to stay out of White Sox business. Yes, well, everybody needs to stay out of White Sox business, Randall. That's correct. Even the White so, Sox need to stay out of White Sox business. Especially the White Sox need to and stay out of fans. White Sox business. Yeah. Uh, so it's been a, a busy, it's been an eventful week on the free agent market. The Cubs, they did introduce... Uh, Cody Bellinger and Jameson Tyone via Zoom, via, I guess, remote press conference earlier in the week. It was nice to see those signings made official. It's been a busy week, and that's never a surprise in this week leading up to Christmas. Teams and players want to get things squared away so that the players, the teams can, you know, consider it done and the players can kind of enjoy the holiday with their families, knowing where they're going to be playing for the season, they where they're going to be heading to for spring training. So it's never a surprise to see, um, to see a kind of a flurry of activity either pop up or made official in this week prior to Christmas. And now Jeremy, things kind of go on hi hiatus. You don't get a whole lot that goes on between Christmas and new year. Sometimes you get uh, a big trade that goes down, but you know, we, we've had our busy two weeks. Now we had to probably a little bit of a quiet period leading up to new year's. Yeah. And then uh, nothing official can even happen. I believe there, there is a, uh, an, uh, an official dead period um, with involving for the holidays and the years before the new league year, I think it's 10 days. And so there could be some reported things that have happened behind the scenes, but nothing official can uh, officially happen. And so, yeah, I, as you said, Randall, usually players want to know where they're going to be. They don't want things to linger around to the, into the new year. We saw in years past where, you know, we saw some, when the free agent market was just stagnant, you know, Bryce Harper, man, Machado not signing until you know, March all pretty much. That was kind of like at the time it was thought, wow, because like Christmas was always the deadline. So we're kind of kind of going back to that. We're at least seeing the action. We're seeing the, the guys make the contracts and everybody wants to know. Usually, historically, Christmas and New Year's have been that deadline where you don't want to go into the New Year not knowing where you're going to play. Because at some point you have to start ramping up for spring training and that's, that's going right. to happen sooner than you, you think. And for us, we all are very excited for it. But like you want to know where you're going to be what your plan is, what your role is, what your job is, what team you're going to be with when you start ramping up for spring training. And that's going to start happening for a lot of these players over the probably the next coming weeks. And so a lot of them want to get done because they. you also want to know because there's other things besides just that, you know, where you want to live, like get your apartment right. You mentioned Korea was house shopping. Like these things all have to happen. Hope and, you didn't put and, down any down payments. Exactly. And spring training is going to start in February. We're only – a little more than uh, almost two months away, probably a little more than a month, like away from spring training. So. We are, we are six to seven weeks away from, from exactly. pitchers and catchers so, reporting for the most so part. You want to get that figured out as soon as possible. And so there's still some moves out to be made, but uh, from the players end, like you want to get this all settled. So um, there will be that dead period I mentioned. So we probably won't see a lot of activity over this next 10 days or so, but once it gets past the, I, I do think you'll see a lot of quick activity because people want to get that sorted out. Absolutely. And not to say that nothing happens between the two holidays. The U Darvish trade to the Padres did drop two days before New Year's uh, two years ago, right now in 2020, ahead of the 2021 season. So things do happen. But I, I will say it is nice to see 
just about all of the big free agents off the board. We have seen off seasons, normal off seasons where the biggest names did not sign until February or March where they were introduced at spring training. We have seen abnormal off seasons like last ones uh, coming out of the lockout. I will say it is good to see uh, kind of a normal off season where the biggest names are off, are all off the board ahead of Christmas. Um, you know, normal is always a relative thing, but I do feel like we're getting back to this, this, these normal off seasons of big money being spent on free agents and things getting mostly done before the first of the year, which, you know, in the years past, there's, we'd been sitting here on December 23rd going, when are all the free agents going to sign? I'm I'm kind of glad we're moving away from that now. Yeah. And it's fun. And I think it's good for baseball. It brings attention for baseball. People talk about it. Like when everybody's sitting around and it's like, when is Bryce Harper going to sign? When's Bam? I don't think that's good for baseball. Not at all. want that kind of that, that action be in the news. So, Yes, I'm very happy we we finally kind of got back to a normal uh, off-season free agency, and hopefully with this labor piece, we see that for another you know three, four, five more years. I certainly hope so as well, because that's kind of how baseball stays relevant in this time of year when college football and the NBA and I guess to a degree the NHL dominate the sports landscape NFL. and college basketball too. Um, that's how MLB stays relevant is these these wire images these news stories of the biggest free agents signing with their new teams being introduced with the, the jerseys that are going to line team stores sooner versus later and yeah that's how mlb stays in the news this time of year like you said it's good for baseball to see this happening and the one thing i would say that we haven't actually seen this offseason which is kind of weird is we have not really seen many trades we haven't that's seen right the, the that's biggest right. trade it's... is maybe that there was a big trade today the biggest trade is maybe that sean murphy trade and then today dalton varsho went from the diamondbacks to the blue jays but we haven't really seen a lot of big trades and i'm wondering if that's something that we might see coming up and especially with the fact that there aren't a lot more free agents out there maybe the cubs kind of explore that trade market because we haven't seen a lot of major trades yeah and i i do agree with you i think that a lot of teams were willing to spend money just because prospects are uh, so valued in the present game. I do think a lot of teams were hoping to address their roster issues with just money. Um, and I do think, as you said, as these pieces are coming off the board, if teams out there have positions they need filled, I think we're going to see kind of an uptick in trades after the first of the year going into spring training. So that would not surprise me at all if we come out of New Year's and we get those those passing those passing breaking tweets that these two teams have just pulled off a big trade. I'd, li I'd like to see the Cubs do that. Um, I don't think they're going to do that this offseason. I think they have maybe had their targets. I think their targets went elsewhere. Um, I think they're going to probably keep that prospect powder dry for another season. But I I'd enjoy that, seeing the Cubs put some chips in the table and make a really big trade for a, a controlled guy at a position of need. I would enjoy seeing that. I think that would make um, anticipation for this upcoming season e even higher. Um, I don't think they'll do that, but we do still have a fair bit of the offseason to go. So maybe. Uh, Jeremy, this is our last show before Christmas. I don't think it'll be our last show of the year. It is show number 93. We do inch towards that century mark. By my guess, we will probably hit that century mark right around the start of spring training. So I think those two things will dovetail nicely. But it is, of course, our last show before Christmas. Anything you'd like to say to our listeners who listen to us uh, all, all throughout the year and now get the benefit of listening to us at Christmas, like, uh, like, like a nice fireside chat, I like to think of it as. 
Well, I guess I just, first of all, I would wish everybody on this December 23rd, happy Eddie Vedder Day, uh, <laughs> and being his birthday, the big 5-8. And then, you know, for this weekend, everybody enjoy a nice white Christmas. Uh, it, it looks, we got the weather for it. It's we do. freezing out there. Don't go outside, I guess. No. I'm not going outside. I'm staying by a fire uh, and just staying in, get a nice prime rib dinner tomorrow night. But everybody enjoy your Christmas and enjoy your new year. I, I do think we'll, as you said, we'll probably have one before the new year. But if not, enjoy your new year uh celebrations and so yeah i I, this is kind of this is one of my favorite weeks of the year just because it's like you know you kind of get that whole week where it's pretty much nothing going on yeah it's it's a very chill week it's it's, it's a great week aptly you don't go outside uh, don't go no you do not go outside (laughs) um no this time this time of year last year it was uh christmas eve 10 p.m i was walking around outside in a a light sweater not so much the case this year a light sweater is going to get you frostbitten pretty quickly uh but uh, aptly put uh, a merry christmas to everyone a happy last night or two of hanukkah if you do celebrate that whatever other holiday you might be celebrating or have celebrated eddie vetter day of course uh you know the sacred sacred day to jeremy whatever your holiday is we hope you uh, are enjoying it with the right people thank you all for listening we will catch you next time on behind the yellow line for jeremy i'm randall thanks for listening